Well, I hope everybody's doing well this morning. Change in weather's nice, or at least the outlook for it. I, I wore short sleeves in honor of the changing temperatures this week, uh, so we're excited about that, as you can imagine. Uh, and today's a, it's a good day, a special day, uh, that we, uh, we get to celebrate uh, baptism in the life of a young person. It's an encouragement for us and a uh, celebration for us as we um, walk alongside um, those who are growing in their faith. Uh, it should be a great encouragement to us. Uh, and so today we'll be in Psalm chapter 10. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 10. And uh, we're in the series, New Life. And um, most of us would probably say in the last year, uh, coming out of 2020, a new life is something that we've been looking for. Uh, some of us would say, well, we weren't that affected by it, but I think we all were in some form or fashion uh, by a pandemic and kind of moving in a positive direction. Uh, we, um, we thank God in His good graces in the time that we live in um, that although there's been a lot of loss, right? There's been a lot of loss of life, uh, but yet we're in a place where a vaccine was created and we, we get to celebrate that and, uh, and hopefully like we have been. Uh, continue to move into a place where we can do more and more. Uh, and I know our deacon board is going to meet this week and talk about some things that I'm hopeful to share with you in the weeks to come uh, for good, great things, positive things, uh, moving in the right direction for our church, uh, being able to see some things happen again that we did uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, and so the title of today's message underneath this series of New Life is Living Valley. Um, and we We've all heard the phrase before, kind of moving in and out of a season of difficulty in this, uh, the highs and lows of this valley. And sometimes we find ourselves in that valley and we just don't know where to go. Uh, we, we feel kind of trapped. We feel stuck. Maybe you felt that way before recently. And what I really believe in reading through this psalm, Psalm chapter 10, uh, is that if we could walk in a certain way in the valley, uh, we'd find ourselves being able to, to walk more stably and out of that valley um, with confidence and it's this phrase to remember that I want us to think about as we walk through it. Patience in the trouble. Patience in the trouble. And it sounds like a simple phrase to remember. That's because it is. Uh, and I think it comes from the text today that we're going to look at. Uh, and so um, as we move through this, I want to just remind us what our vision statement is. Uh, us as a church, what we believe in the direction that we're moving is that, is that we want to be about loving Christ, growing the church, and reaching the community. So everything that we do now and in the future should be measured against that. And so I wanted to share with you just kind of a little illustration or kind of some interesting things I found when I was looking at patience. Uh, there's a lot of things you can find to help with patience. But just to put it in perspective, I know sometimes we, we just get bent out of shape or we get impatient about the simple things, right? Uh, and if we could kind of maybe walk in some of those simple things and be patient, that might help us in the bigger things. And so I, I found an article. Uh, it was uh, put out there by the uh, Journal of Applied Social Psychology. Um, so something, if you don't know about me, I love psychology. Um, and social psychology in particular tells us a lot about the reasons why we do the things that we do. And they're usually affected by other people. Uh, I know sometimes we would think, if I was just on an island by myself, I would have no problems, right? Uh, but yet we interact with others, and we have to figure out how to do that well, and especially as believers. And so I found this article. It was about patience and parking spots. Patience and parking spots. So uh, maybe you found yourself from one time to another uh, trying to far, find a parking space. Maybe it was at Walmart. Maybe it was at the mall um, or another grocery store. And you, you see someone starting to pull out, right? So you go, all right, I got it. I'm closer than anybody else. And you start pulling up. And then you can tell they see you waiting, right? Now, what typically happens? I know we've gone through these thoughts in our minds of like, 
they were pulling out pretty quick, and then as soon as I got there, I felt like they started slowing down, right? Have you ever noticed that? Well, uh, the branch of uh, psychology uh, discovered that as they, they went through a study, they just went to parking lots and they were just watching people, right? So they did three separate studies, and the first one was, um, how quickly would people pull out of a parking space if no one was there waiting for it? And so they discovered probably that it was about the average time was, was about 15 to 20 seconds from the moment they started pulling out to when they started driving off and somebody else could pull into that spot. And so the second study they did was when someone else pulled up to pull into that spot, how long would it take them? Well, on average, it would take them at least 10 to 15 seconds longer to pull out of a spot. Ah, so you're not crazy, okay? So I know you've thought that before. You're not crazy. Well, what if... Somebody pulled up to get into the spot that you were in, and they honked at you. <laughs> how, how dare they? Why would somebody honk at you? I'm already pulling out. People, on average, will take another 10 to 15 seconds to pull out. So imagine you go from, like, somebody pulling out of a parking space in 20 seconds as you're waiting for it to a minute. No, people wouldn't really do that. Oh, yeah, they do, and everybody does. And interestingly enough, we looked across all um, socioeconomic boards and ethnic backgrounds and uh, religious status or faith, and everybody did exactly the same thing, whether or not they were pulling out or somebody was waiting on them or whether or not somebody honked and was waiting for somebody to pull out. It took them that much longer. And so I think we all need patience, right? <laughs> we need patience uh, when we're waiting for that spot. Uh, we need patience when somebody else is impatient and waiting to get into it, right? And so in the simple things, maybe we just think about the way that we live and we act, and I hope that this psalm bears a little bit of weight on that. And so as we walk through Psalm chapter 10, just as a reminder for us, we know uh, most of the psalms, over half, were written by David. There were some other authors, uh, Ezra, compiled the psalms for us. And so while he's, he's working on uh, enacting spiritual reform, so as the people of God are returning to Jerusalem after it's just been destroyed, uh, he, he believed that God had tasked him uh, with this uh, important responsibility of rebuilding the temple. Okay? So he was rebuilding the temple, and he was also enacting the spiritual reform, which, which, by the way, there were all these people who had been born in captivity, and they were coming back to Jerusalem, and they had no idea what it was supposed to look like. Um, they had not uh, had access to God's Word, and so and when Ezra's bringing them back, he's basically starting over. And he, uh, as he's compiling the Psalms, interestingly enough, a lot of scholars uh, have said about Psalm chapter 10 that Ezra wrote it himself. And so of just a few of the psalms that we're going to look at in this series, uh, I'm going to take it from that perspective that Ezra also wrote Psalm chapter 10. Uh, and so um, as we go through this, we kind of understand where Ezra's coming from. We looked at this a year ago, if you remember. We were um, kind of right in the middle of the beginning of this series, which was uh, focused on the rebuild of the temple in Ezra. And so we looked at Ezra and then Nehemiah. And I remember it well because it was this Sunday about a year ago um, that we got a pretty good idea that we weren't going to be able to meet in person. And we didn't know how long that was going to be. Um, it turned out that it was about three months. And so if you asked me when we first came to Western New York, like in your first year, uh, you're going to spend uh, probably about three months of your time standing in front of a camera posting services online. Uh, if somebody asked me that, I thought, that's the craziest thing that I've ever heard of. But yet... 
that's what happened. And so Ezra, in a similar way, he, he went through a very difficult season. Uh, this was no easy task, right? He, he was being called to go and rebuild the temple. God, you want me to do what? All right? And people are going to be all around the surrounding lands, and they're probably going to be trying to stop the work. They don't want the temple to be, re- be re- rebuilt. They have all these foreign gods, these pagan practices. And if we do this, there's going to be a lot of opposition. And so he goes, and he's faithful, and the people don't even know how to worship God, and he's teaching them. And he's compiling this book, and then he includes Psalm chapter 10 for us, among the other writings. And so this first idea I want us to write down is just patience with evil. Patience with evil. And we've seen, I think, plenty of that this last year. Um, Reasons to hate the person sitting next to you for the silliest of things. And so as we look at this idea of patience with evil, I just want to read verse 1, and we'll kind of look over it. Uh, Verse 1 says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? So we really have to start with the feelings that's conveyed by this question. Whenever these words are spoken, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Uh, A lot of us would probably go, I've never had that happen, or I don't ever feel like that, Pastor. I mean, I'm a believer, you know, we're in church. Like, I never feel sad, or I never feel like, God stands far away. Have you ever felt like that? Well, I felt like that. And so this, that's okay. This is a safe place to be. We can, we can be honest about these things. And so Ezra in the same way says, Oh Lord, you stand far away. Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Uh, so the place we have to come to is realizing that there's going to be evil, right? There's going to be difficult circumstances. And we have to acknowledge that those exist. And then we have real feelings in response to those. So I think sometimes as believers, we, uh, we, we read something like this and we go, Man, Tough time, Ezra. Uh, you know, I feel for you, man, but I, I've never felt like that. I mean, I'm secure in the Lord, and I never have any uh, struggle or any doubt, but yet he's saying these words himself. As he's, as he's a, the priest, and he's building uh, the, the book of Psalms, he's compiling all these things, and he's writing some things down for us to kind of help us understand what they were going through. And I think maybe it'll help us as we go through this. He says, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble. So why do things seem difficult? I think we go to this place of like, why do bad things happen? And then we respond to God and like, why? Why, God, does this happen? And those are all good and normal questions, but we have to go back to the beginning of the Bible. Like, why does anything bad or difficult or sinful or wrong take place? And it's because God, in the beginning, what did he do? He created man and woman in the garden. He had creation and he put us in uh, dominion over that. And everything was perfect. It was Marvelous. It was wonderful. And we were in perfect fellowship with God. And then Adam and Eve did this thing where they broke God's law. They sinned against God. He said, just don't do this one thing. Don't take of the fruit of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's what they did. And as a result of that, sin entered the world. And so every time we go, man, that's so terrible. I can't believe that happened. Like that really hurts my heart. That's an okay and that's a normal response. In fact, to even say, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? How do you think Adam and Eve felt when they sinned against God? They felt like he was far away, right? Because they had broken relationship. And and just like them, we still suffer the consequences of sin and destruction and death. Even though we can put our faith and trust in Jesus, we still feel that all the time, right? And it's almost daily. Um, I know we, we all have difficult days, but as we try to seek God, sometimes especially 
when it seems like the presence of evil is more present, it makes it more difficult for us. And so how we respond really matters. Maybe you're thinking of a difficult circumstance now, um, whatever it might be. I, I always go back to really kind of the first time that I question uh, maybe God's goodness. Um, when in 1999, uh, when a man walked into my church, when I was there on a Wednesday night, and he shot 14 people. Uh, the months that preceded that were a really difficult time for me. And I've shared that story in its entirety, and I'm not going to do that this morning. Uh, but I, I, just, I had that question. I said, God, why do you stand far away? Uh, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And I think a lot of people, were, a lot of time, we're scared to ask that question, right? Because maybe we don't want to know the answer. Maybe we don't even want to know why we feel like that. Because when we respond to bad things, when we respond to difficult things, sometimes we, we tend to blame God instead of go, and God, I understand. I know you created everything perfectly, and man fractured that. He made everything in this place where we could still have a relationship with you, but it would be very, very difficult. And as I struggled with that, I think God gave me an answer and gave me a purpose for why the shooting took place so that lots of people would come to know Jesus, so that the story of what took place would go all around the world and the gospel would be shared. But sometimes we don't always get maybe the answer that we're looking for. Sometimes we need to be okay with just things being wrong, right? Things being messed up because of the world that we live in. And we don't always get an answer. We don't always get the one that we want, right? And so let's keep going through this. In verses 2 through 4, Ezra's going to turn his perspective to um, the rest of the world and, and kind of just making an observance of what's going on. And he says this, In arrogance the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. And so maybe you've heard somebody say this before, and it's just kind of like, you know, like enraging, right? Uh, I've heard people say this plenty of times. Um, those who would be uh, not a part of the family of God, who would look at you and be and just say, "Hey, there, there is no God. Like there is no hope. This, uh, this life. I mean, this is all there is." But what happens when people don't have a relationship with God? When they don't know Him? When the difficulty of life comes? When terrible things happen? The automatic response is to go, "Well." God must not really be there. I mean, if he really cared about us, if he's like really a good God like everybody says, then, then he would just go, man, I don't want you guys to go any, do anything hard. I don't want anything to be difficult. I don't want you to see any terrible things, right? But yet, because sin entered the world, these things will take place. And we have to look at this and go, man, there's going to be a lot of people that respond in that way. That like Ezra's looking out to the other nations and they're trying to rebuild the temple and they're going, Ezra, why are you wasting your time, man? Temple's it's destroyed. Why don't you just leave it like that? There's no purpose. And Ezra says, no, I've been called to this purpose to restore the temple and to remind people why we follow God. And then in verse 5 it says, His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. And so how, how do other people respond? Again, so in the same way, uh, Ezra tells us there's this way that people speak, um, that, that don't know God, that don't follow him. Um, and and they, they say this, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. So basically, I can, I can live however I want to. 
I don't have to follow uh, your God. I can um, seek my own um, happiness or pleasure, and I can try to attain that my way because nothing's going to happen to me. I don't have to submit to anyone. It says, His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. And so sometimes I think we do. We, we look out at the world like Ezra, and we, we see these things, and we know that they're there, but then we're like, why? You know, like, why, God, does that happen? Or why can people live in such a way in opposition to you? And, and the answer to that, just like it was in the Old Testament, is that God gives everyone free will, and he desires for everyone to, to come into a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ, but he doesn't force anybody. He says, here it is, and take it or leave it. And, and those who are in direct opposition to God, they're, they're going to say, this is the way that I'm going to live. Nothing's going to happen to me. There's going to be no consequences. And so Ezra reminds us, this is that perspective of those outside of the family of faith. And in verse 8, he says, there's, as going through verse 10, there's this idea of practicing uh, wickedness um, that points us towards um, someone who's already kind of setting the destination for where they're going to go, unless they turn and follow God. He says in verse 8, He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed and sink down and fall by his might. And so you might be thinking at this point, wow, this is a really... Again, this is like an uplifting passage, but we have to understand where Ezra was coming from. He was rebuilding the temple in a time where um, they had been gone for many years. They come to reestablish. Nobody around them is liking this. Um, In fact, Jerusalem not being there, uh, God's city and his people um, really affected the surrounding areas really badly. So people who uh, got taken into captivity who were seeking God, uh, now there's no godly influence. Now there's nobody saying, let's worship the one true God in that area. And so everybody else has started to, uh, what you would see happen when there is an absence of God, uh, victimize uh, the poor. Um, they are oppressing um, those who, uh, what, especially us as believers now, would say, no, we're supposed to be there to help uplift the poor. We're supposed to be there to take care of people who are in need. And um, we'll see, he talks about the fatherless. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to help the orphan and someone who's in a tough situation. But what would the wicked say? What would those who, who don't have anything to do with God, who say, I'm going to do what I want, and there's not going to be any consequences? Uh, well, I can take advantage of people. I can victimize people. And so that's what was going on. And so you can imagine that system in that place in that time. And Ezra's coming back, and he's going, no, we're going to turn back to God. We're going to worship the one true God. And here's how we're going to live. But we know there's going to be some opposition. We know there's going to be those who are going to uh, be <laughs> opposed to that. And he says in verse 11, He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. And so it's important for us to, as we as we look out of the world, not to get like, not to get angry that people say the things that they do, that they live in a certain way. Um, I I uh, remember, especially during the pandemic season, there were um, those in high offices, those in positions that we submit to, and we should um, just just say some silly things, you know, like we're gonna like we're gonna make this work, or we're gonna fix this situation. I was just going like. Maybe we shouldn't make promises, right? Uh, maybe we shouldn't say things that we can't come through on when really what we should be doing is, yes, um, doing everything that we can to, to make sure that we kind of um, help the situation, but then falling on our faces before God and saying, God, we need your help. This is not something we can conquer on our own. But yet, um, that's the perspective of those who would maybe at times think, we've got this. We've got it under control. We can fix it. And in the same way, even just the little things of our life, right? 
we, we say that, that same thing, God, I can handle it, I can do it. And, and like the, someone who is truly wicked, separated from God, he says in his heart, God has forgotten, he has hidden his face, he will never see it. Um, can you imagine as the, they're rebuilding the temple, Ezra's there in that situation, he's, he's saying, here's who we're going to follow, here's who we're going to worship, God, you remember him? And they say, oh God, he's forgotten, he's hidden his face, he will never see it. The things that they practice. Well, we know is that that's not the case, and we have to be patient with evil. Uh, and I found a quote by Didymus the Blind, just an ancient church father, um, in regards to uh, kind of how people live and how they practice things and what the devil does. And in reference to verse 10, the devil lies in wait in secret, is what he said, like a lion in a den or a savage lion in his cave, so that he may drag off the poor by crafty speech and equally often by their deeds. So while these things upset us, right, while we see just violence and oppression and people just like hating each other so much to the point that in our nation that they would be willing to kill each other over it, um, that should grieve us, right? That should make us go, you know, God, like, why is this going on? And Ezra reminds us these things are going to happen, right? Because we live in a fallen world and these things took place almost from the beginning. But what's our response to it? Well, we're patient and evil, right? Um, We don't despair. We don't just go, man, God, the not sure what we're going to do now. Um, everything's over. Uh, no, God is still working in the midst, and he says, be patient with the evil. Be patient, because it's going to be present, okay? Uh, until we either go to heaven, we die and we stand before God, or he returns and takes us to heaven. And so here's the second thing, patience with God. So this is that second fill in the blank, patience with God. Now, we kind of see that and go, oh, we need to be patient with God. That's kind of strange. Well, what do we do? When we see the wickedness, when we see the evil, and we're not patient with it, we, we kind of get like down, right? We despair, and then we, we go, like, God, what are you doing? Like, what's going on? Like, if you could, like, speed this thing up, let's fix this, let's make it right. It's not always in our timing, is it? It's not always when we think that things should be made right. Uh, and so he says in verse 12, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Uh, this is a good, and it's a, it's a right prayer. It's a, it's a request of God. Would you, God, would you do something? Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Um, of all the terrible things and all the injustice um, that, that goes on, God, we, uh, we, we ask you, we need your help, right? Um, this is not something we can fix on our own. And Ezra knows it, so he's, he's trying to help us understand. Make a request. Let's be patient Um, with God. He doesn't always fill things in our timing like we've talked about many times before. And then in verse 13, it says, why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? So uh, again, this is in perspective to God. Uh, Ezra is crying out to the Lord. Um, He says, would you not forget the afflicted? And then this perspective of the wicked comes back in when he, he says, so we need to be patient with God. And the wicked will say, you will not call to account. Um, that's, kinda, that's kind of a, a troubling statement, right? That someone would make, God, you're not going to do anything about it. You know? I'm just going to keep doing um, what I'm doing, and it doesn't really matter. Uh, I've had conversations with you know, Alana, and we, we kind of ask things. When we, maybe we see something that's not quite right, why, and we ask that question, why would somebody do that? Why would they hurt that person? Why would this happen. And you try to shield your kids as much as you can, like early on, right? Uh, but they still see things and they're like, that seems wrong. And you're like, that's right. <laughs> that is wrong. And it's because we live 
in a sinful world. And so we have to be able to make peace with that, that there's evil present and that we um, are patient with that. And we're also patient with God while he works in the midst of that. Um, it's going to be present. So what's our response? Well, um, Ezra says in verse 14, but you do see, for you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. So while Ezra's in this place of rebuild, and there's constant opposition. I almost think to the time of when Noah was building the ark. Um, the temple was no small rebuild process. It took many years. And um, I thought about while Noah was building the ark, God gave him that task, one that was almost comical. God, I don't even see any rain. Well, it hasn't rained. Um, and as people are walking by, he and his sons are building it. They laugh. They scoff at Noah. What are you doing, man? hundred years later, ark is completed and the floodwaters come and people go, oh, wow, I guess we should have listened. Maybe we shouldn't have made fun. And so in the same way, in our season, because God has grace on us, right? We experience life and we have this thing called common grace that everybody experiences. And I think sometimes we, uh, as we share with the world and our faith, and we, we kind of share why we have hope and maybe they don't, people will say, uh, kind of like what Ezra said about the wicked, well, God's, he doesn't see anything. He, it's not like he cares what, what's going on. Look, he's not even really doing anything. I, I'm living this way and you're living that way. And well, I mean, are we any different? And Ezra says this, but you do see, God does see. He says, for you note, he's got one of the greatest ledgers, the greatest ledger of all time, says you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. And so he, he doesn't forget anything. It's not like he's lost track of anything as we go through the season. God is the same God that he was in the Old Testament. And we have to be reminded of that here in our context. There's common graces that we all experience. But there's also a lot of difficulty. There's also a lot of really terrible things that we go through as well as a result of the fall. And Ezra says that you may take it into your hands. And we don't always think about that. Hebrews tells us that we have one life to live and that there will be a day that we will stand in judgment. And whenever that is, like we've said, when Jesus comes back um, in that uh, second triumphal entry, like we talked about this morning that Greg mentioned, he came in Jerusalem and he just wept. If you read that passage, it says he wept over Jerusalem. He said, if, if you knew what was coming. He ta- and he talked about, before he goes into Jerusalem, the destruction that was coming. So Ezra rebuilt the temple. Nehemiah rebuilt the wall. And hundreds of years later, because the people still didn't listen, and they killed Jesus, and he raised from the dead, he was telling them what was going to happen to himself. But what they didn't understand is that Jerusalem was also going to be destroyed again, and the temple was going to be destroyed and so there's all these reminders for us that we, we can't just live in a way that would be in opposition to God, especially as believers. Uh, but even for those that are not, uh, we have this helpful reminder that Ezra says, hey, God doesn't forget anything. It may seem like at times when things are really, really bad that, God, are you going to do anything? I mean, are you there? And we ask that question. It's okay to ask the question. But he says, you have been the helper of the fatherless. You ever felt like you've been at a time where you just like... You needed somebody to pick you up, and you were wondering where that hand was going to come from. And God was right there. And, but yet we still, we, we struggle, and we go through, God, why is this going on? Why is the injustice there? Why is the difficult circumstance? And then Ezra makes this request. He says in verse 15, Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. Well, we know 
God's already dealing with evil. He's already dealing with injustice. And there's going to be a day when he, he makes everything right. And Ezra makes this, it's almost like, wow, that's kind of harsh, Ezra. You want to break the arm of the wicked and the evil doer, call his wickedness to account till you find none. Well, Ezra longs for God's righteousness and his justice in the land. And, and he shares that as a, as a good and right request. He's, he's, he's basically saying, God, make things right. Would you do that? And that should be our prayer too. Um, not to, God, would you take care of that? Man, that person really gets on my nerves. And, oh, they just treat me so badly. And if you just break their arm. Like, that's not what Ezra's talking about. He, he's talking about true justice that only comes from God. And, and as they rebuild and as they are putting together the temple and the wall, um, they're, they're, they're reaching out and they're saying, look, things are going to go badly. We're trying to follow the one true God. And he reminds them who God is. He's not a God that forgets. He's got this, uh, is this perfect ledger of everything that's taken place. And he's the helper of the fatherless. And then in this last section, so we talked about being patient and evil because it's present. It will always be present while we live in a sinful world. And we've got to be patient with God and his plan. Like he's, he's got a plan. Sometimes we don't always know it. And we think that it should go differently. Um, like we think it shouldn't involve anybody we care about getting sick um, or hurt um, or going through any sort of uh, inconvenience, right? Having to wait for that parking space. Come on, Hong Kong, if you would just move, then and I'd be good. And they take longer. We're going like, God, my way. This is tough. I don't want to be patient. But it seems like all throughout life, God is reminding us that patience is this theme that we have to have. And I love this last section because it's patience with preparation. Patience with preparation. And we really don't like that part, I think. The patience and the time that it takes to what Paul talks about in the book of Romans, this idea of progressive sanctification. Um, it seems like it's the times that we don't like maybe the most. We don't want to be patient when God's working on us the most, right? When he's trying to peel back those layers, those things that don't belong in our life. We're going, God, I don't like that. I don't, I don't like it when you do that. Like, why are you giving me more um, opportunities to be patient? It's like, it's always interesting when we pray for things like, God, would you help me to be more patient? It seems like there's more opportunities to try to be patient, right? Uh, and so we got to be careful. you got to be careful what you pray for, what you ask for. But we have to be patient with the preparation in the season. And, and I love um, just being around older, uh, more seasoned believers. Um, and my hope is that as I, as I do that, I kind of look at them and go, man, that's what I could be like. Um, that's what I could be like at that phase. Like There's just a lot of things that, uh, that don't seem to bother people who have been saved for like a lot longer than you, right? Uh, you're looking at somebody, I'm 32, so uh, I'm like, man, somebody's in their 60s, 70s, like they're just so godly. Why does that not make them angry? And, and you wonder, but I think it comes back to this, this ability to have patience in the preparation, which is progressive sanctification, which makes us more like Jesus. It's the patience and the preparation that points us in the right direction, that if we'd be faithful and if we'd really truly be patient in, uh, God would work. And in verse 16, it says this, The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. Um, so there's really three ideas. You can write them in if you want to. It would be helpful to remember in this last section, patience with preparation. Um, verse 16, God owns it all. God owns it all. And so we look at verse 16. We go, oh, yeah, that's true. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. But Ezra was giving us a truth now um, that we can apply even now. Um, sometimes we think, especially in this season, like, I don't know that things were really handled very well, Right? 
we've all become like excellent critics, right? Like how things, you know, could have been done better after the fact, like, oh man, I would have done this, right? Um, but truly you don't really know what you would have done in that position. So we always like to criticize leadership and of different nations, how they handled it and, oh, who's using that, that vaccine or why are they using that one? That's not a good one or an ethical one. Uh, but then we come back to this place where we have confidence and we have this patience with preparation, knowing that the Lord is king forever and ever and the nations perish from his land. Um, so when God returns, when he makes all things right, what, what are we in this land? We're just, we're not the landlord, right? We're a tenant in a place. Even we look to, to government, to uh, the president, to whoever it might be over a particular region, we have hope, right? Because even if we don't like the way things are being done now, or uh, maybe we, we kind of go, I think this is going in the wrong direction. Uh, Ezra reminds us the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. What was Ezra allowed to do? Well, he, he, he didn't just say, hey, guys, I'm going to leave. I know I'm, we're in captivity right now, but I'm going to go rebuild the temple, so we'll see you later. Um, no, he had to go before the king, and what the scripture tells us is that God, he worked in leadership's hearts. He worked in the king's heart so that God's people were allowed to go back and rebuild, but they were still under subjugation of their captors in their land. And so even though they went back and they were rebuilding, they were still in submission to somebody else, but who were the conquering forces? Who were the people who conquered them? Who were they in submission to? They were still in submission to God. And so God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, with whatever he wants. And by the way, even the most powerful entities, most powerful nations that have ever existed, they were all just tenants, right? Now they made people pay taxes, right? They made people do certain things that that are right for a nation to do when you're living in a place. But they're not really the ones in charge, right? They're not really the ones that at the end of all things will say, I'm coming to take account for what's been done. And by the way, everything belongs to me. That's what God's going to say. And Ezra reminds us of this. And it gives us hope, right? It gives us hope that while we're patient in, with evil, uh, while we're patient with God, while he's got this perfect plan and we don't know exactly how it's going to work out perfectly for each one of us and we're going to go through that struggle, we come to this place of having patience with the preparation. And it brings us into a place, I hope, of a better um, spiritual quality of closer to God. Uh, and he says in verse 17... It's another good word. So God owns it all, verse 16. In verse 17, we see that God hears it all. Um, God owns it all. God hears it all in verse 17. And he says, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. And so again, in this time of preparation, we don't have to despair because you, it says you hear the desire of the afflicted. So when times are tough, when seasons are rough, we say, God, you hear us. Um, in this season, I'm kind of coming out or going back to whatever will be new normal. Um, I've just been praying. I've been praying for each and every one of you um, individually um, every single week and what God would do in your hearts and your minds and, and where he would take us uh, this new year in this new life together in this new season. Um, and we've seen so many great, so many positive things. I mean, people get into the waters of baptism, but um, I want you to know I've seen hearts change, um, even within yourselves and the things that God has done in each and every one of you. Um, I think he's, he, he's uniquely drawn us together and brought us together to this place in unity. Um, I haven't seen that everywhere, uh, but I think God's given us that special uh, place together. And he reminds us that he hears us. He hears everything. And I love this part. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline 
your ear. So what does God do for us? I mean, when, when things are bad, like when, when it's really, really, really difficult, it says that he will strengthen our hearts. Like we don't just, kind of like in America, I mean, what do we do? We just, like we will just pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. We will just make this better. We will, um, we will use our position, our power, our influence, our, our money. Well, yeah, we got this saved away for a rainy day. So when something bad happens, that's what we're going to rely on. But, but how often do any of those things actually strengthen our hearts? They may make us feel better for a tiny bit of time. They may make our minds feel better, but our hearts just sink, right? And that's why we go to the Lord, and he says, You hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. And the only word I'll look at today in the Hebrew, surprisingly, uh, is just this word for incline. And I think it's one of the more important ones in this passage. The word here for incline, in the Hebrew, it's ozen, uh, meaning to uncover the ear or to reveal so while God strengthens our hearts, while we're patient in this preparation, he uncovers his ear to listen to us. And it's not just that, this idea of like omnipresence, like God is everywhere, he hears everything. But if we look deeply into Psalms, in this book as we walk through it, there's always a special presence of when God's people are seeking him and they say, God, we need your help. God strengthens their hearts and there's always this idea of listening or hearing that God, he's, it's almost like a, a dad who when a kid comes to him and he sits there and he listens intently and he says, I want to hear what you have to say. And he inclines his ear to us so that we could share anything in the entire world and he'd be happy to listen and give us strength and courage. And so in this last verse, uh, we looked at verse 16, God owns it all. Verse 17, God hears it all. And in verse 18, we have this hope that God will restore it all. And so while we're patient with preparation, um, we, we already talked about being patient with the evil and with God and His plan, but while we're patient with preparation, we need to be encouraged that God will restore it all. Will it all be perfect right now? No. Will we go through difficulty? Yes. Um, will things get better sometimes before they get worse? Yeah, a lot of times they will. But Ezra leaves it in this place, and I think he does it for a reason, Verse 18, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. And so when we look at this, we, we have a tough time, right? We want to be patient in the evil, but we, uh, we get downhearted sometimes. We want to be patient with God, with the plan, and we say because we're believers and we go to church, like, we always trust God. Like, we, I mean, he's got it. Like, we don't ever have a hard time, but we do. And so we want to ask God, we, we want to be patient with you. Um, we, we don't have any right to ask that, but we do need your patience to trust you in this. And we want patience in the preparation, uh, knowing that God, he owns it all, he hears it all, and he's going to restore it all. And this is a future hope, too. So God's, as Ezra's rebuilding the temple, he goes, I mean, I mean nations are going to rise and fall. People are going to do what they want. They're going to say what they want. But the only thing that really matters is what God says, because he owns it all, he hears everything when we come to him. And then he's going to restore it all, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Because we see a lot of bad stuff, right? Um, and we see a lot of things. I mean, it's, just, it's tough to even turn on the news, right? Um, it just seems like everything's bad. Like, do they report anything that's, like, nice? I mean, like, the puppy got a home. I mean, I have, like, little segments every once in a while of that, right? But yet most of what we see is something else is bad. Something else is worse, Right? But we need to be reminded, like what Ezra says, so that the man who's of the earth will strike terror no more. 
man is going to continue to be evil. As we live in this world, as we are patient with these things and with God and with the preparation that makes us more like him leading up to the end of our lives or his return, uh, we're able to become more like him because we trust him. And we need this patience, right? If we don't have this patience and we're just constantly getting angry and frustrated with everything that's going wrong in the world, um, we're not going to have this growth. We're not going to have this progressive sanctification that makes us more like God as we go closer to him through what Jesus has done on the cross for us. And I want to share just a story in closing. Um, breakfast patience, that's what I call it. Um, the girls and I, will all get up, we'll have breakfast together. We try to do that every morning. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm out and about and I meet with many of you, so I'll meet with you for lunch, that kind of thing. But I always try to make sure that we sit together before we start the day. Uh, we have breakfast, we just pray together. Uh, and one of the things that happens is Alana, who um, we believe, she's put her faith and trust in Jesus. Uh, we've been letting her watch the baptism. She's really interested in that. We're talking about it a lot. When will that will happen for her? And, uh, and so while we sit at breakfast, she's got a, a good perspective. Hannah, who um, only knows, kind of wants, desires, um, when she, she gets in her seat, she's like, I want the milk now. Uh, I want the food now. And so you may, I mean, come on, Dad, let's make that happen. Uh, and so she will begin to whine, and the whining will get, you know, louder and louder and, you know, <laughs> shriller and shriller, you know. And so, Alana, I love this because um, we, we taught her this. And so we're sitting while we're being patient. We're getting ready to have breakfast together, to start the day out right. Uh, she will start to remind Hannah. She goes, she likes to kind of sing this little song. Hannah, you just need the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. And she'll stop it on patience. She goes, patience, patience. And Hannah will look at her. And, of course, you know, she stops. She goes, you know what, you're right, sister. Um, I need fruits of the Spirit. I need patience. No, she, she yells even louder normally. <laughs> but, but what a valiant effort because what do we need? I mean, we need that reminder, right? And as I, I just, I've heard her voice like as I'm driving and I'm going to that parking space and people are taking a long time. And I just hear those words, Michael, you need fruits of the Spirit. You need love, joy, peace patience. And boy, do we need patience. I mean, in a a season like this, in a time like this, whether it's patience to know that evil's present and it's not going to go away, to know uh, that we need to trust God, that we need to have patience with him. He's got this plan, and while we don't see all of it, uh, we're able to see part of it, and we got to just trust him through it. And then we've got to be patient in the preparation, knowing that God's doing a lot of things in our lives, and we may not understand him. In fact, the things that he's trying to help us be patient in may be painful, and maybe really, really tough while we're going through them. But this is the reminder that we have that in this valley we should be patient in the trouble so that God can make us who he wants us to be in this life. And maybe you need it. I know I need it every day. Breakfast, patience. And I'll leave you with one verse before we close. Uh, Romans twelve twelve. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And, um, and boy, do we need that as believers. Uh, maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. Uh, my appeal to you would be, and whether you're listening online or you listen to it later, you listen right now, uh, it's as easy as this. You'd admit that you're a sinner. Uh, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins. Three days later, he got up from the grave, um, conquering sin and death, so that if we would confess with our mouth that he's the Lord of our lives, uh, we'd be saved. Um, Peter did that, and he got into the waters in, of baptism, and he showed us that he was serious about that decision so that we could support him. Uh, and so I pray that maybe you would do that if you haven't gotten baptized. It would be a great time to do it. 
Uh, maybe if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time, uh, maybe do that today and you can understand what it really is to rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and to be constant in prayer. Uh, let's pray and we'll close. Uh, Father, we come to you today. Um, God, we need your help. Um, God, we, as we navigate this life, as we go about life, as the book of Psalms shows us um, that we, we do need your help. Um, God, we can't do this on our own. Um, God, we need to have patience with the evil that's present. We know it is present. It's because we fell from grace. We made mistakes, and we all do. And God, I pray that you'd help us to be patient, um, even with you. Um, God, that we would trust you, um, that you've got this perfect plan. We don't always see it. We don't always understand it, uh, but we need patience there. Um, God, I pray you'd help us to be patient in the preparation. No matter where we're at in life, whether we're a five-year-old that's just trusted in you, whether we are uh, 90 um, and we've lived a lot of years following you. Um, God, I pray that we can all help each other and push each other closer to you um, as we navigate this new season. Um, God, help us, help us to be patient in all these seasons so that we might become more like your son, Jesus. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Love you, church. Have a wonderful day and a, and a good week with some nice weather.